you know, in paranormal circles, we're all supposed to stay in our lanes. You know, ghosts are the spirits of dead people. UFOs are alien spaceships and never the twain shall meet. We don't need any paranormal interbreeding. It doesn't fly right. We don't want any crossover. Makes us uncomfortable. Not so for our next guest. He is comfortable having a foot in both of those uh, topics and both of those venues. Malcolm Robinson has been interested in the strange world of paranormal for as long as he can remember. In 1979, he formed his own research society, Strange Phenomena Investigations, SPI. He's also the assistant editor of UFO Matrix magazine, and his goal in life is to continue researching cases pertaining to the strange world of UFOs and the paranormal, and maybe to come up with some answers. He joins us momentarily here on Coast to Coast AM. Welcome back. Malcolm Robinson is the author of 12 books. The most recent is Paranormal Case Files of Great Britain, Volume 4, jam-packed with bone-chilling encounters. Uh, Malcolm, welcome back to Coast to Coast. Is Malcolm there? We're holding on here. We're trying to get him back on the phone um, momentarily. Um, As I said, he's written 12 books, and we're reconnecting. Okay, we're reconnecting and we're trying him on a Zoom. Uh, he is a UFO and paranormal researcher who's been on this paranormal journey, is perfectly comfortable with digging into UFOs and ghost stories. Malcolm, welcome back to Coast to Coast. Yes, uh, very good day to you, George. Nice to be back on the show. Uh, uh, can you tell me what was your entry point to these subjects? Well, I've, I've always been interested in strange phenomena. Um, ever since I was a small boy growing up in Scotland, I had this fascination, <laughs> deep-held fascination for all things, you know, spooky. And uh, I started reading various books. I watched The, uh, the Twilight Zone, The Outer Limits. And, uh, but I was still, you know, I was very, very sceptical. I honestly didn't believe that these things could happen. And... To be honest with you, I set out on a kind of one-man journey to disprove all these subjects. But it's like anything else in life, George. Once you get your hands dirty, once you physically put yourself in the ballpark of haunted houses, UFO hotspots, then you soon see there's no smoke without fire. And clearly, my my journey into the ufological and paranormal world has, has shown to me but by God, you know, we are indeed living in strange times, and there's a lot of mysteries out there to be to be solved. It's true. I, you know, you, you grew up in Scotland, as you said. Here in Las Vegas, uh, you know, if you live in a 30-year-old house, that's an old building, uh, because we, we like to start over, uh, flatten things, build new stuff. Scotland, Ireland, U.K., Uh, You know, you have every regular houses that are hundreds of years old, castles that are older than that. It feels like every building in your in all of Great Britain and the the British Isles is is potentially haunted. Uh, Does that have an effect on uh, the legitimacy of the work that you do and the opportunity to pursue these stories? Yeah, I mean, let, let's be honest. I mean, the, the ghostly phenomena can occur in, even in, a, in new houses, but you're quite correct. Um, Great Britain has this tradition of these haunted castles and uh, what have you, and there's no denying that uh, a lot of people can somehow tune in or, or, or see these spirits, you know. And I've often said, you know, you can have six people in a haunted room and only three will see the ghost or the spirit. The other three will go, what? I, I can't see anything. 
And what I believe is it's like certain people are more psychically attuned, more psychically aware. It's like an old radio, the old radio set where you had to dial, you know, get the fingers on the dial and move it to the next station. So you're trying to find that frequency. And once you have it, then that's great. So there's certain people who have this great facility to kind of tune into the, 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 the paranormal world yeah, and, and see spirit for sure. Um, I am ancient ask about your entry point. Was there an experience that you had as a, as a youngster? Did you see something or was there stories in your family that got you interested? Absolutely. Um, I mean, obviously that's the thing, you know, I've had many, many encounters when I was young. I remember uh, my mother came home one day and she bought me a, a pair of new shiny black shoes now, for some reason, as a, a stroppy teenager, you know, I didn't like them, George. You know, I went, oh, I don't like these. And I honestly threw them down towards the settee. Definitely. Absolutely. They were going right down to the flat bit of the settee. And as soon as, suddenly they just stopped in midair, rose up and smashed right through the window. I just could not believe what I was looking at, you know. And, of course, my mother thought it was me, and I was like, I didn't do this. What's going on? And I, later on in, in, in life, when I formed my own society in, in 1979, obviously I had a, an incredible amount of experiences. But prior to that, when I worked in a factory in Scotland, there was an, uh, an old man came up to me and he says, Malcolm, there's no such things as ghosts and poltergeists. What a lot of rubbish. <laughs> and he says, um, <clears throat> but I'll tell you what, Malcolm, he says, See, when I die, if there's anything like this life after death that all you crazy folk think about, well, I'll come back. So many, many, many years went by, George. I'm talking a lot of years went by. And I was getting up in the morning for a day shift. We started at 6 a.m. And I was in my kitchen around about 5 a.m. And it was all quiet. The house was in silence. My wife was sleeping upstairs. And I walked towards the kettle to put water in the kettle. And then suddenly, suddenly I had this feeling that somebody was behind me. And I slowly turned around and I saw nothing, nothing at all. And I went, what's going on here? So when I went to work that morning, George, I walked into the, the men's mess room, they call it, where everybody sits and has a cup of tea before you start your shift. And all the men were all sitting with long faces. And I went, guys, come on, cheer up. What's happened to you? And they said, oh, have you not heard? We Bobby Smith died last night. Now, that was the man who said many years before that if there is such a thing as a life after death, I'll come back. Now, admittedly, I didn't see him, but I sure as hell had that experience, that feeling, that tingling. You know, all the hairs are going up on, on my on my arms and everything. And um, it's just one of many, many things that's transpired throughout my young life that, uh, that I've seen. You know, many people in these subjects, the things that you cover, the things that I cover, are not comfortable with the crossover effect. You know, stay in your lane kind of a thing. You ghost people, you're over there. You UFO people, you, you stay over there. Let's not have any cross-contamination. You're comfortable having a foothold in both. Right. Oh, absolutely. 
absolutely. Uh, my, my reason death is to try and find some answers to what account for present, what our present alludes us, and that includes Nessie, of course, uh, UFOs and many, many UFO sightings in Scotland, which I hope to share with your good self and your lovely listeners shortly. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's many mysteries abound. And the reason I write books and, and do talks is most over the books is all these people are coming to me with these wonderful stories. You need to get them off their chest. Sometimes they don't know who to speak to. You know, the, you go to the police, you go to the airports. And when I give my talks, I have a lot of people coming up to me and sharing their stories and their experiences. And they're so glad to unfold these stories onto me. And what I say is that um, the reason I write books is not to say, look at me. These stories need a public. There's no good for me to file them away in a filing cabinet, gathering dust. You know, they've got to be seen. And it's just a great journey that I've been on. You mentioned earlier there about what got me into it. Here's another story. My father, um, he's, passed, he's passed now, God bless him. He said that, he, well, he saw me getting involved in these subjects. And he said, son, your granny, my mother, yes, as you know, she passed away a few weeks ago. Uh-huh, yeah. He says, well, a couple of nights ago, son, and this is how he's telling me the story, John. A couple of nights ago, I was lying in my bed, and he says, Malcolm, I wasn't sleeping, I swear to God. The room was in darkness. And then suddenly, this beautiful light pervaded in the corner of the room. And there, standing in this warm, beautiful light, was my mother, your granny. And he said the strange thing was that she looked about 35, 36, you know, in her mid-30s. Now, she passed in her 80s. And this is a strange thing about some of the paranormal. People who pass over tend to come back, if they can, and show themselves when they were at their most happiest, you know. Now, what I'm about to say, your listeners may sound find crazy, but this is, you know, this is what she said. She says, Robert, that's my father's name, yes. I've passed on. I just want to say that I love you. I'm just going to, I'm moving on to a better place. And then seconds later, George, the light, this beautiful warm light diminished and the room was enveloped in blackness again. I later found out that she went to my uh, uncles, that's my father's brothers, and said the very same thing. The problem we've got, though, is I dare say that some of your listeners will say, well, I've lost a father, I've lost a mother, and I've never seen them. I accept that. You know, there, is, there must be some kind of mechanism that does not allow everybody to come back and say, we're still, we're still here. I mean, I used to be embarrassed talking about this on the radio, but the, the wealth of evidence that I've gathered over 45 years of speaking to clinical physicians, doctors, nurses, people, it's not all oxygen starvation to the brain. It's not all, you know, people on drugs and medication. Some of that is, yeah, but not at all. And uh, it's, it's just a, an incredible journey. You know, I, I lost uh, an aunt of mine two months ago, and she was in hospice care for a few weeks, and we had a chance to have conversations about this matter. And I asked her the same thing. I had been sharing her with her some of the information that I had learned about what comes next and uh, 
And I asked her, look, uh, if you get time while you're over there, after you go, come on back. You know, I'm still looking for her. She hasn't shown up yet, but I'm keeping my eye out just in case. And I, I would not be surprised if it happens, but I'm, I'm also not holding my breath. Yeah. Yeah, I remember um, once we were, our, our society, strange phenomenon investigations, were at the haunted house in the small village of Tullybody, which is in Clackmannanshire in central Scotland. And we had all the equipment set up, and uh, nothing was happening. And, and I was questioning myself, why do I do this? You know, why do I do this? And then suddenly, bang, the whole room illuminated, and thousands and thousands of tiny pinpricks of white, sparkling light. It was like a, a child's November the 5th handheld sparkler that you get here in the UK. And it was incredible. It was all over the walls, all over the ceiling, all over your clothes. And I turned round to her psychic and I said, what on earth is this? And she, she said to me, Malcolm, come on, you should know it's pure psychic energy. I went, really? I said, it's wonderful. And again, all, maybe 20, 25 seconds, it just dissipated. So we crossed our fingers. And we went to the VCR recording machines, press stop, press rewind, press play, and with anticipation building, we, we just hoped that we had captured this wonderful, magical, sparkling effect on the cameras that was set up in the, the haunted room. And when we went play, nothing, just blackness. Now, the thing is, George, even if we had captured something spectacular as this light show, the skeptics of the world would have said, oh, well done, Malcolm, you've, you've done it on computer. And this is a problem we've got, you know, in today's society, today's technological world. They were dealing with the apps that you can put an image of a ghost or, on a family photograph or a UFO or, on, a, on a landscape, you know, and it looks so convincing. The, the beauty of it is that we can still use the same technology to unmask any problems with these photographs, i.e. maybe it's a, a thin, thin wire supporting a UFO model hanging from a tree. So the technology works both ways, you know. Uh, in your book, uh, Paranormal Case Files of Great Britain, Volume 4, you describe yourself as a spiritualist. Uh, you you're, um, adhere to spiritualism. Can you tell us what that means? Is it uh, for you a religion? Is it uh, an, a, an outlook on life? Is it, uh, is it a scientific discipline? Because at one point in your country and here, it was. And some of the m most advanced minds of the time took it seriously. Absolutely. Spiritualism is very, very serious. It is a, a, a sincere and recognized religion for sure. And all we're trying to do is just provide the opportunity for people who come along to a spiritualist church here in Great Britain or anywhere in the world to, to learn about the philosophy of spiritualism, to learn about the, the people who played a big, big part back in the day. And, of course, latterly, at the end of the meeting, this is when the, 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 the psychic or the medium will go and do their clairvoyance, and this is where they'll bring forward people who have passed away. Now, even though I believe wholeheartedly in a life after death, due to the wealth of evidence, I'm still not naive enough to think there's still charlatans out there. Of course there is. Of course there is. There, you know, there are many mediums who are fraudulent and trying to take the money out of your pocket or going in newspapers and, and all this, you know. And we have to be very, very careful. Just as you get many 
sadly, many bad police officers. You know, not a lot, but you do get them. The same with psychics or, or, or people storytelling. But once you get rid of those people, it's like a big sieve. If you can imagine a big sieve, you know, and you're shaking it and shaking it, and all of the detritus is falling through the, that square wire. You're left with nuggets. You're left with as genuine cases that they won't go through that wire mesh. And uh, to those cases that I devote my, my whole life to. I, I wanted to ask about how you how you became comfortable with uh, interest in spiritualism, but also UFOs. As mentioned before, uh, you know a lot of those folks who uh, either uh, investigate one or the other, but usually not both. Yeah, I mean, uh, ufology plays a big, big part in my life, and I've written a number of books on some of the classic cases in Scotland, which I'll share with you in a moment. But, uh, but yes, it's, it's the whole spectrum, I guess, you know, the whole mystery of everything to do with the paranormal, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Ogopogo, and Nessie, all these mysteries. We, we, we don't know, we're learning all the time, you know, people tended to laugh at John Logie Baird, the inventor of television. They said, that'll never work. It did. They laughed at Marconi. That'll never work. It did. They laughed at the Wright brothers at Kitty Hawk when they, the man's first flight. That'll, <laughs> that'll never get off the ground. It did. People tend to laugh and poke fun at things that sound and look ridiculous. But mankind is on a, a big, big ladder of understanding. We know so little about ourselves and our place in the universe. We've got all these, um, you know, discoveries awaiting quarks, neutrinos. Are we dealing with, um, you know, extraterrestrials? Or, are we dealing with dimensions, as Jacques Belli would, would have you say? But, but my early life, to answer your question, there was not just one thing. It had to be all things. And like I said at the top of the show there, I, I did try my best to, to, to unmask all these fraudulent mediums and unmask all this nonsense. And whilst there were a little of that during my 45 years, my God, the, the wealth of evidence is, is just overwhelming. I, I remember a case, again in Scotland, um, this poor lady had been plagued by um, poltergeist manifestations in her house. And myself and my colleagues went to see if we could assist, you know, try and get rid of this. And uh, we were in this room, and uh, we always work in semi-darkness. I'll tell you what, hold, hold on, Malcolm. Uh, we're talking with Malcolm Robinson uh, about his new book, Paranormal Case Files of Great Britain, Volume 4. He's about to tell us a pretty cool story. We're going to pick it up on the other side. We're talking with Malcolm Robinson about Paranormal Case Files of Great Britain, Volume 4, his latest book that is jam-packed with spooky encounters. We're going to jump into some of those stories right after this on Coast to Coast AM. Malcolm Robinson, you were about to tell us a story about one of your uh, adventures uh, right before I interrupted you for that break. Can you please continue? Yes, absolutely. Um, Obviously, because I'm immersed in this wonderful subject, um, it puts me in the ballpark of many incredible cases and stuff. So the following case happened a few years ago where I was invited into this uh, this lady's family home where she had been plagued by poltergeist effects. So I was there with my uh, strange phenomena investigations team. We had set up all equipment. And we were working in kind of semi-ambient light. And um, suddenly the psychic says, Malcolm, can you feel spirit in this room tonight? 
sorry, I can't. And she says, oh, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Malcolm, stand over in the corner of the room and put your arm out. Extend your arm out with your, your palm facing downwards and ask Spirit to touch you. I went, really? And she says, yeah, please. And so one minute went by, nothing, two minutes, nothing, three minutes. And on the fourth minute, a heavy push, push down on the back of my hand. And boy, did I get a fright. It was incredible. Now, nobody was near me. Nobody had rushed up and, um, you know, tried to do that. It was it was quite incredible, yeah. Uh, do you feel that there is some sort of a spillover or crossover between ghosts, spirits, and UFO cases? I know you're interested in both, but are they related in some way? Well, that's a very good question, George. I mean, it's a question I've been asked many times, and I'm going to say yes to that question. And the reason I do say yes is because of one particular case that uh, SBI were involved with a number of years ago. It was down in Devon in England. And uh, this lady had been plagued by UFOs all over her house uh, and in the sky. And it was quite incredible. And so we went down to interview her about that. And it was an old house as well, getting back to what you said at the top of the show. You know, there's, there's these old, old houses that seem to have this history of ghosts, etc. So she's talking to me about um, various things that had been happening. And then she says, she started to say something, then she stopped. I went, no, continue. Please, please continue. I need to know everything, no matter how ridiculous it sounds. We're here to understand. What was you about to tell me? And she says, well, okay. I don't know if you believe me, but honestly, I saw this, Mr. Robinson. What did you see? She said she was reading a book in uh, her bed, and it was just a small light on in the bedroom. And she suddenly looked down to the foot of the bed, and saw a small grey being. And everybody that listens to your show fully knows what that is. Three and a half, four feet tall, small childlike body, pear-shaped head, black pinky almond-shaped eyes, no sign of any genitalia, standing at the right-hand side of the bed. Here's the crux, George. Here's the, to answer your question, the crossover. So you've got a grey on the right-hand side of the room. On the left-hand side of the room was a small spirit child. She looked very similar to that American TV show, Little House in the Prairie, the pin of her dress, the ringlets in her hair, and she was astonished to see this. So here we have, you know, a, a small grey being and a spirit child in the same room at the same time who both eventually dis disappeared. So as far as the crossover goes, I think to some degree, maybe it's all part and parcel somehow, but that's the only kind of story that, I personally dealt with that uh, perplexed me. Well, you know, there are those who think that uh, our spirit, our essence, uh, when we die, it goes to some other place, and that other place might be a dimension. And, and you know, there's a lot of interest in uh, dimensional beings as as the source of uh, UFO cases. So maybe there is crossover. We just don't know yet. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, we're... We, many, many researchers the world over, including here in Scotland, have their own ideas as to what is behind the UFO mystery. Some people believe it's extraterrestrial. Some people believe it's interdimensional, that they're time travelers. I mean, we know more about the surface of the moon than what we do, what's under our own Earth's oceans. The Mary 
Mariana Trench, for instance, a massively big trench which holds these mysterious bioluminous fish, etc. The reason I'm coming, I'm saying this is a lot of people have seen UFOs diving into and exiting out of the oceans of this planet, more so around the island of Puerto Rico. It's maybe not too far silly to say that maybe if they are here, then they have bases under the oceans of this, this planet. And that's only, it's only speculation on my part, of course. But I tend to think along the lines of Jacques Vallée, the French physicist, who, uh, who does believe maybe it's a dimensional thing, it's a dimensional shift. Um, but we, we still don't know. What really angers me and puzzles me is why, oh, why, oh, why are we still having these UFO abductions? What clearly is behind this? People say that it's some form of interbreeding program, like David Jacobs in a number of his books relates to what he calls hubrids, human and hybrids. And uh, this is what they're trying to integrate. And it sounds preposterous. It sounds uh, Hollywood, but, you know, a number of researchers think that maybe this is what's going on. Uh, I mean, the question I always raise is, why is these small greys taking sperm and ova from males and females? They've been doing it now for over 50 years, if not more. Surely, surely they have enough genetic information that they don't need to keep doing this. Is it uh, something to do with souls? People say that maybe they don't understand humanity and the soul process. Some people say that, uh, you know, people have been taken out of their beds and through windows and they got a prickly sensation, etc. And yet some people, the, the Maureen Puddy case, for instance, in Australia, um, she said that, uh, you know, she, she claimed that she had been in touch with these beings, etc. So these two Australian UFO researchers said, OK, let, let's see if we can check this out. So she drove them to a secluded spot. The two researchers are in the back. She's in the front of the car. And she says, they're coming. They're coming now. And then she suddenly says, I'm being taken. I'm being taken. She hadn't moved. She was still in the car. So is it fair to say that some UFO abductions may be taking what we call the etheric or the spiritual body rather than the physical material body but again <laughs> that's speculation on my part in your country uh, in your neck of the woods um fairy folk have a long history and i don't want to branch too far away from the subjects we're discussing but you include some cases of fairy folk uh, in this book I, I don't know if you think of them as being related to spirits or possibly related to ufo activity but as you have noted jacques valet and john keel and some other folks have made the comparison that Maybe this is the same phenomena that we now describe as aliens, that, that uh, the cultural norms uh, of centuries ago, they called them something else. Absolutely, you're quite right. You know, um, back in the day, the, the trolls uh, from Scandinavia, uh, the leprechauns from Ireland, the djinn, etc., these were all little beings that people saw back in their time. Today we see the greys. Is it some form of crossover, you know? Um, then we, we talk about, yes, there is a few cases of, of fairy folk in the, in, in the book. And um, some people may call them elementals. And um, these, these have been seen the world over as well. And again, it sounds crazy. It sounds preposterous, you know, but, you know, people are clearly seeing this. Well, and, share, share some of the stories with us. 
grab an example out of the book and share what what people are reporting of seeing. Yeah, well, I'll give you a quick one. It was uh, in the, the the book, and it happened to a friend of mine by by the name of Bill Rourke. Now, Bill Rourke stays in York in England, and he's taken a number of weird photographs in the, of things in the sky. But on this occasion, he claimed that he'd taken a photograph of a fairy. So, um, when you look at the photograph, it clearly has this humanoid-shaped body. It has the wings. And this was an incredible photograph. We sent it off to many scientists and professors here in the UK and the States. And we never said it was a fairy. We just said, we have got this photograph of this strange um, insect. We, we called it an insect. Could you tell us what, what it could be? And uh, even the scientists couldn't agree. Some of them said it was a what we call a midgey. Some of them said it was a binoped fly. And um, so you have all these, these uh, stories. The, the stories in my book also are from people who claim to have seen little figures in their back garden or on the street even, you know, uh, wearing these, these brightly coloured clothes. They're only about 12 inches high, if, if that, you know, walking along streets, etc. Totally, totally out of context with the surroundings. And they stare at them and then suddenly, bang, they've disappeared. And uh, there's a wonderful book written by uh, a, a British researcher called Janet Bord and her husband Colin, and it's all about these these tales coming from all over the world of these little people. So it adds another bit of strangeness to an already strange, wonderful life that I have. Uh, let's go to a ghost story. So you write about uh, the the Stirling Castle, and I, I could swear I, I seem to remember that castle from. Um, Maybe it's the story of William Wallace, the movie Braveheart. Uh, but this is a place that has a long, long history. As you write, it it was a wooden fort for 300 years. And then the 15th century, they built this massive stone castle that has seen battles and deaths and kings and queens. Um, t- tell us a, a little bit about the history of this place, why it might be haunted. Well, yeah, it's, it's a very prominent castle, which is in Stirlingshire in the central belt of Scotland. As you quite rightly said, it was initially a wooden fort. And as the years rolled by, they obviously had to strengthen that by, by stone, etc. It's been besieged by the English and the, and the wars between England and Scotland over the years. There have been many horrific deaths. Um, many prisoners were held in the dungeons at Stirling Castle. But probably one of the most famous uh, ghosts that uh, is in Stirling Castle is what we call the Green Lady. And it's uh, a lady, obviously, with a flowery, um, beautiful dress, all in green, green. And she's been seen many times in the castle. You could see right through her. And then this is a problem I have with ghosts. Some ghosts are solid-looking ghosts. Other ghosts are transparent. You get anniversary ghosts. You get you know, a whole range of different things. But Stirling, a lot of people have taken photographs of this green lady at Stirling Castle. And also, there's one particular photograph which is not of the green lady. It claims to show a piper, uh, a, a Scotsman with the bagpipes, etc., with the kilt coming through, uh, uh, coming down this, this alleyway in Stirling Castle. Now, when you see that photograph, it could be anything. You know, it could be what we call simulacrum or pareidolia. 
And we get that with our society, George. A lot of we get sent a lot of ghost photographs and UFO photographs, and clearly a lot of it's not what it appears to be. But it's still in Castle, yeah. I mean, I, I would urge any American or Canadian listening to the show, if you're ever in Scotland, please go to Stirling Castle. The history of that is fantastic. And you never know, you may come across the Green Lady. <laughs> Can you stay there? Um, no, unfortunately, no. It's, uh, it's just there for visitation only. Uh, you have uh, some... Go ahead. Yeah, you have some stories about a place called Ching- Chingle Hall? Uh, uh, a haunting in Chingle Hall. What's the deal there? Yeah, again, it's, a, it's another famous uh, building this time down in England, which has seen a lot of paranormal occurrences. And uh, one of my, my best friends, um, Darren Ritson, he said, Malcolm, could I just share some of the, the investigations that we've done at Chingle Hall? And so we included that in the book. And uh, some of these, these cases were of a, a big massive big wooden door and it was opening and closing of its own accord they recorded footsteps they recorded kind of sounds on what they call a evp machine or these, these voices etc so they picked up quite a substantial amount of paranormal happenings in chingle hall and um we felt that that had to be related in the book but i mean one of scotland's biggest cases george is the socky Poltergeist. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about this yourself. No. Well, very briefly, it concerned a, an 11-year-old girl called Virginia Campbell, and uh, she was living with her family in a little place called Moville in County Donegal in Ireland. And back in 1960, they decided to go to Scotland to, to live. You know, upsticks live. She didn't want to go. <laughs> she was leaving her school friends and her little dog Toby behind. But uh, long story short, they moved to Scotland, and within a few weeks, November 1960, within a few weeks, strange things started to transpire. She was in a single bed, and her cousin was in a, another single bed in the room, and they, could start, they started to hear footsteps walking along the linoleum floor, and also scratching sounds and knocking sounds. So at this, they jumped up, started running down the stairs, and as they ran down the stairs, it was like the sound of this big medicine ball, thump, thump, thumping down behind them, and they rushed into the living room and said to their parents, you know, strange things are happening in their room. Of course, the the parents refused to believe them, thought it was childish imagination, maybe they were dreaming, so they took them back upstairs, and what did they find? They found the very same, they could hear footsteps, knocking noises, it got so bad, George, that they had to bring in the local vicar, local church minister, and he too observed and saw strange things in that house. For instance, the rippling of Virginia's bed covers, as if she had thrown a stone into a quiet mill pond. You've got all these concentric ripples rippling out. Then there was a, a doctor, Dr. Nisbet and Dr. Logan, attended the family home, and they saw a large linen chest, which was against the wall, scream out, screech out along the linoleum floor, and the top of it opened up, and it was flapping up and down as if invisible hands were moving it. But things got so bad that uh, they thought they couldn't get any worse. They did. When she went to school, 
if you can imagine if back in 1960 the school teacher has got she's given an essay for all the children to do and their heads are bent over their essay they're busy writing away apart from one little girl Virginia she had her forearms on her desk lid and the teacher screams up the classroom Virginia what are you doing stop that and as soon as Virginia lifted her arms off the desk lid the desk lid was moving up and down and at that point, an empty desk sitting next to Virginia rose up several inches off the floor and fell down. On another occasion, when Virginia was approaching the teacher's desk with her, with, with her essay, she laid her essay down on the desk. And back in 1960, there was a big, what we call a cane, which the teachers pointed to the blackboard. It was lying flat. It started to vibrate of its own accord then stood up vertically and banged on the desk. And at that point, the teacher's desk rose up a few inches off the floor and turned round 90 degrees, whereas her stomach was in the large part of the, the desk. It was now in the narrow part of the desk. I could go on. It's such a massive case. Wow. <laughs> That's a heck of a story. I, I would imagine they just say, send her assignments and let her learn at home after that. We're talking with uh, Malcolm Robinson, a great storyteller, his book, uh, Paranormal Case Files, a Great Britain, Volume 4, is out. It's jam-packed with stories like what we just heard. When we come back, we will hear some more of them.